these 15 more days till Christmas. That's 360 more hours. That's 21,600 more minutes and a million two hundred and ninety-six thousand more seconds. And I've just used up 15 seconds of them. We've come around the Word of God this morning, so you can go on ahead and take out your Bible apps, take out your Bibles. Uh, we're going to pray. Amen. God, we thank you that nothing else in this world can nourish our souls quite like your Word can. And so we come around your Word with deep anticipation and the deepest assurance like the Canaanite woman, oh God. And we say that even the crumb of a word, Lord, that would fall from the master's table is enough to change me, transform me, heal me, save me, deliver me, and fashion me into the person that you want me to be, oh God. And so we thank you for your word. We cherish your word above all else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I'm going to be preaching from Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 20, and I'm reading from the NIV version. You can follow along on the screen uh, or on your Bible. Here's what it says. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. God bless the reading of his word this morning. Today, the message is simply titled, But Why? But Why? For some of you in the room, probably looking at that message title and thinking, But Why? <laughs> uh, Christmas is a time of celebration. It brings with it festivities and traditions that we hold dear. There's food, there's, there are gifts to unwrap, there are decorations that set this holiday apart from any other. There are special songs that you can only sing during Christmas time. Christmas is not like any other holiday. It's full of joy, it's a time of celebration, it's full of laughter, it's vibrant, it's fun. But in the midst of all the joy and the laughter, there is always that one particular moment in Christmas that often leaves you asking, but why? You know, there's always that one family member who, who just gets a little bit too joyful over the Christmas season that you end up asking, but why? There's always something that goes down that often has nothing to do with Christmas, but it's urgent. And so now you've got to respond to it and it leaves you asking, but why? Take, for example, the family gathering. You know, for example, we're all gathered around on Christmas Day. Everyone is opening gifts. Everyone is smiling. There's laughter in the air. It's a time of utmost celebration. But then there's that one family member who wants to shift the atmosphere and starts to initiate a conversation about some of the things that they're not happy about. There's always that one member who loves to preface opening gifts with the words, 
there's something that I'm not happy about that I need to talk to you guys about. That, that person sits kind of like over here in this area. <laughs> Kidding. Man. Loosen up a little bit, church. We're having fun. Well, for example, if you're like a catalog tree decorator, you would, you would have had a similar thing happen to you uh, when you're decorating Christmas trees. You've spent the entire day decorating. The baubles are on fleek. The ribbon is pristine. The lights are beautiful. There is a rhythm and a pattern to the way that you have decorated your Christmas tree. You've thought all year long about the theme and the pattern that you want for your Christmas tree. There's a rhythm. There's a pattern. You thought about the colors. You've done your best to ensure that your tree in your house is going to be the tree to rival all Christmas trees. But then your child comes home one day and they're like, mom, look at what I made. And you discover that the tamariki have been busy at the kindi making little baubles all day. And no, they're not the same color as the theme of the Christmas tree. They are not up to the standard of the decorations of your tree. They are not in line with your vision for your Christmas tree. So instead of being mean, you say, oh, cute. Let's put it up in your room. <laughs> But then your child responds with absolute innocence and such a grin on their face. And they're like, I've got a better idea. Let's put it on the tree. <laughs> and so you're like, but why? <laughs> there are just moments that often leave you asking, but why? And as we look at our text this morning, we're going to come across a whole heap of but why moments that I think are worthy for us to unpack. In our text, we find that Joseph and Mary are in Bethlehem. He's there with Mary to register because there's been this census that's been happening. And the Bible says that while they're there, Mary gives birth to baby Jesus. She wrapped him in cloth and then she places him in a manger because there was no room at the guest room available for them in Bethlehem. Suddenly, the story shifts our view from Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem to the fields. And the author of the text starts to let us know about the shepherds who are in the field nearby. They're watching over their flock. An angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds and they become terrified. The angel then proclaims the good news to them. And the angel says, do not be afraid. I bring you news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. My first point is this, shepherds, but why? Why the shepherds? Of all the people that the angel of the Lord could have announced the good news to, the Bible says they went to the shepherds. But why? It doesn't make any sense. And I recognize that the shepherds in the field are important because the angels that appeared and spoke in the beginning of Luke chapter 2, they are not talking to Mary and Joseph at this point. The angels are not appearing to Mary and Joseph. To be quite honest, Mary and Joseph are the ones who need a visitation from an angel. But the Bible said that the angels came to talk to the shepherds. Why do the angels even care to talk to the shepherds? Who are these shepherds? Why do they deserve a revelation? Mary is the one whose legs are in a stirrup. Mary is the one who's in labor. Mary is the one who has to wrap her baby in a cloth and rags. If anybody needed a word from an angel, it was Mary. But instead, the angels don't even talk to Mary. The angels run on down to the field and they talk to the shepherds in the field and they tell the shepherds, but why? If Jesus, the one who's been born, is the Messiah, the Lord, wouldn't it make more sense 
for the angels to announce the good news to the ruler at the time. Wouldn't it make more sense for the angels to announce, to make this announcement to the people of Israel who've been waiting and yearning for the Messiah to come? Wouldn't it make more sense for the angels to make the announcement to the Pharisees and the law keepers and the Sadducees of the day? Wouldn't it just make more sense for the angels to write it up in the sky so the entire world could see it? But the angel of the Lord brings the word to shepherds. You know, at one point in time in in Middle Eastern culture, shepherds were considered to be the lowest in society. They were considered to be dirty and unclean because of the nature of their vocation. They had to clean the sheep. They would have come into contact with sheep dung. They would have stunk having spent the time herding sheep. They would have had blood on their hands having to fight away animals who tried to destroy the sheep. The shepherds would have been seen as the lowest in the society. Another thing that these shepherds provide for us, though, is an image of everyday living. They're just ordinary people. Nothing flash about them. They're just out on the fields doing work. Ain't nothing spectacular about what these shepherds do. Ain't nothing special about them. They're just ordinary shepherds. But the association of the shepherds with the events that are happening in the text provide an image of everyday living to this nativity story. The author is trying to let us know that God is not just concerned or involved with the special or the great. God is not just concerned about those who carry a title and wear a royal regalia. God is not just concerned about those who are considered the least in society. The author of the text is letting us know that God is concerned about all people. And the announcement of Jesus' arrival to everyday shepherds, the announcement of Jesus' arrival to your everyday everyday folks or even people whom society would consider the lowest, the unclean, all of this shows God's commitment to all of humanity. In other words, regardless of who you are or where you come from, God will meet you where you are, not where you pretend to be. I thank God that the shepherds were not out in the field pretending to be wise men. I thank God that the shepherds were not out in the field pretending to be priests dressed in priestly regalia. I thank God that the shepherds were not out in the field pretending to be something that they were not. I thank God that when the angel of the Lord appeared to them, they were in the field. Probably stinking. Probably hot and bothered. Hair looking a mess. Clothes tattered and torn. B.O. for days. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm thankful that the angel of the Lord appeared to everyday people like the shepherds because it means then that there's hope for someone like me. Someone could straight out of Otara. It means he's hope for someone like me, abused at a young age and ridiculed for trying to speak up about it. There's hope for someone like me who is trying to love God the best I can, raise a family the best I can, follow Jesus the best I can and still have days where I feel like I don't have it all together. I'm glad that the shepherds weren't trying to be something that they were not because it means that I can stand in the truth of who I am, flaws and all, past mistakes and all, history and all, victories and defeats, mountaintop moments and valley moments. I can stand in the truth of who I am and yet God would still show his commitment to someone like me. 
And so I don't have to pretend to be something that I'm not. I don't need to try to woo my way into God's presence. I don't need to try and look a certain way, sound a certain way for God to notice and care about me. The fact that he would send an angel to the shepherds is enough to let me know that he's committed to all of humanity. That means he's committed to me when I'm good. He's committed to me when I'm bad. He's committed to me when I've got a job. He's committed to me when I don't have a job. He's committed to me when I'm following him and he's committed to me even when I've turned my back on him. He's committed to me. If he, if you're here today and you want to know if God really cares about you, I came to tell you this morning that he does. He cares about you. He cares about you so much so that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He cares about you so much so that not even death not even life, not even angels or demons or the present or the future, powers, height, depth, anything else in, the, in all of creation. None of these things will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so you don't need to pretend to be something that you're not. Because God is the God who will send the good news even to everyday people like shepherds. My second point is manger. But why? Why a manger? Luke 2 verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. But why? Why wrapped in cloths? Why lying in a manger? Is this not the Messiah, Jesus, that we are talking about? The one whom John later refers to as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Is this not he? Is this not the Messiah? You see, Messiah means anointed one. It means chosen one. In other words, to be the Messiah means to be called of God with a specific, special God-ordained purpose. In the same sentence, the angel of the Lord says that the Messiah is born, the anointed one, the chosen one, and then also says that he's wrapped in cloth and placed in the manger. But why? The author of the text mentions manger three times in our passage this morning. In verse 7, he tells us that Mary takes Jesus, wraps him, and then puts him in the manger. In verse 12, the angel is letting the shepherds know that this will be a sign. You will find the baby in a manger. In verse 16, the shepherds arrive to where Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus are, and they find Jesus in the manger. You see, this word manger in the Greek is better translated as to chew or to eat. It refers to a trough where donkeys, horses, and cattle, and ox would go to eat. And we see this example in Luke chapter 13, verse 15. It says, the Lord Jesus answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall, the manger, and lead it out to give it water? The stall is a manger. It's, feeding, it's a feeding trough where animals go to eat or drink. Now, this same word manger is also mentioned in the Old Testament a few times. And one of the places that it is mentioned in is, is, is uh, Isaiah 1 verse 3. Here's what it says. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. In the Old Testament, we read that Israel just constantly turns away from God. Israel persists on being disobedient to God and walking away from God. And so Israel is described as foolish. Israel is described as senseless. In this text, Israel is being described as someone who does not know where the manger is, where the feeding trough is. Israel is being described as less intelligent than an ox or a donkey. Because at least the ox and the donkey know its master and where the manger would be. At least the ox and the donkey know where to go to for food 
and water. And when I read that, I thought, wow. As we read the text, one of the very obvious reasons that Luke lets us know that Jesus' first bed was in the manger is because the manger points to Jesus' humble birth. It means that we, he can identify with humanity. It means he's able to be touched by what it means to be you. That is profound. The creator of heaven and earth, the king of glory, the son of God, could have prepared himself anywhere else to lay his head as he entered the world. But he did not presume upon humanity when he stepped in to redeem it. There was no pretense to his arrival. Rather, God chose to identify in the humblest way with those whom he made in his image. What a picture of God's desire to identify himself with the humble and the poor. It's profound to think that the manger points to Jesus' humble birth. But could I also suggest to you this morning that there was possibly more that the author of the text wanted us to see. Could it be that the author of our text wanted us to see a powerful image of Jesus' first bed being the place where animals eat? Could it be that the author of our text wanted us to see that the manger, the feeding trough, was symbolic of something that Jesus had come to do? You see, the more that I look at the manger, the more I reflect on the manger, the more I see the manger, the more I realize that the reason Mary put him down in the manger is symbolic of the fact that in the same way that the manger provided food for the ox and the cattle and the horse, Jesus, the Son of God, is the one who provides water to the thirsty. He's the bread of life to the hungry. He's the keeper of our souls. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, born in Bethlehem, a town that means house of bread, is the same Jesus who later multiplies the loaves of bread. The same Jesus who said, I am the bread of life. The same Jesus who said, whoever comes to me will never hunger again. The same Jesus who at the last supper said, this is my body, which is given for you. Luke is letting us know that the fulfillment to every single void in our souls was not in the manger, but the one laying in it. He is the source of our existence. He is the giver of joy and love and peace. He was the one who would bring us salvation. The manger is telling us that only Jesus can satisfy the deepest longing of our hearts. The manger is telling us that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Let me ask you today, are you in need of sustenance? Are you in need of provision? Are you in need of peace? Are you in need of deliverance? Are you in need of joy? Are you in need of salvation? If you are, then it's time that you visited the manger because at the manger, there is a savior who has been born to us. There is absolutely nothing that you could unwrap this Christmas season that'll satisfy the longings of your heart. The bread of life born in a trough is the one who is able to satisfy you. He is the one who will bring nourishment for your soul. There was no better place for Mary to put Jesus than to lay him down in a manger, a feeding trough. I'm glad that Mary put him down in the manger. I'm glad that Mary lay him down in the feeding trough because if there hadn't been a manger, there probably wouldn't have been a cross. 
that when Jesus was gently placed in the manger and tucked in with pieces of cloth by the mother who loved him, he was also one step closer to dying for the world. He came as a baby with the purpose of rescuing his people and drawing them near. He is the bread of life to the hungry. He is the water to the thirsty. He is the nourishment and the keeper of our souls. If I can ask the team to join me. This morning, regardless of whether you resonate with the shepherds who were just everyday people, or whether you resonate with the message that the manger is trying to convey, the Christmas story is not just about us trying to find ourselves in the story. It's not just about trying to identify with the characters in the story. It's not just the mere arrival of a new life. It's not just about being touched by a birth in humble surroundings. The Christmas story is all about the coming of the King into the world. It's all about the coming of the Son of God into the world. It is all about the coming of the Messiah into the world. Christmas ain't about here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa. Christmas is all about here comes Jesus. Christmas is all about here comes Jesus. Tap the person next to you and say, here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. You better tell the crazy world, here comes Jesus. Tell all of Manurewa, here comes Jesus. Tell the people in depression, here comes Jesus. Tell the people in chemo, here comes Jesus. Tell the people who can't seem to catch a break, here comes Jesus. That was a word for somebody. You're tired, you're frustrated, you've been uncomfortable, you've been at your wit's end, you can't get a word from God. Your word for today is, here comes Jesus. Tell your fear, here comes Jesus. Tell your anxiety, here here comes Jesus. Tell your broken family, here comes Jesus. Tell your addictions, here comes Jesus. Tell every wolf, every witch, every hex, every spell, every disease, every curse. Tell every affliction, here comes Jesus. The baby born in a manger has come to set us free. He has come to heal the sick. He has come to restore the broken. He has come to forgive. He has come to bring salvation. Glory to God. And my favorite part about the story is the response of the shepherds. Come on, somebody. After seeing Joseph and Mary and Jesus in the manger, after witnessing everything that God had said would be true, the Bible says the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they'd been told. And I just want to know if there's someone here in the 11 a.m. service who is prepared to respond like the shepherds and say, God, I praise you this morning. I praise you for leaving the splendor of heaven and stepping into earth to save somebody like me. You're saying, oh God, I praise you for being my sustainer. Oh God, I praise you for sending us the bread of life, the meek, the humble lamb, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. He is the bright and morning star. Almighty God, he's my peace and my fortress. He is my justice. Oh, come on, somebody. He is the lifter of my head. He is my king. Whatever you want, whatever you need, whatever you ask, whatever you seek, it's in the name, it's in the man named Jesus. Demons tremble at that name. Jesus and how gets nervous. Jesus, sickness flees. Jesus, dead men rise up. Jesus, graves begin to open up. Jesus, there is power in the name of Jesus. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet? Let's give God some praise this morning. 
Hallelujah, Lord. God, we give you all the glory. God, we give you all the praise. God, we give you all the glory. Hallelujah, Lord. Amen, amen. The team are going to sing a song. And I want you to continue to fill your mouth with praise and worship as we glorify God and thank Him for being, for being the bread of life and also for coming to identify with us. God, if there's anyone who knows what it means to be you, it is God. He left the splendor of heaven and He came and He allowed Himself to be touched by what it means to be you. And that deserves glory and praise this morning.